Well, it is great to see you this morning and uh, to be here together. And I do want to, as we prayed before, but say happy Father's Day to the fathers that are here. And um, it's an important role that you have if you take a look at studying any of the statistics of uh, the influence of a father. Uh, It's an incredible influence on a child's life. So I encourage you as a father in that role to uh, continue to be faithful and continue to seek the Lord's direction even, uh, even today and no matter what stage of life your children might be at. This morning we're going to continue in our free series through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it up or click over to Romans chapter 5. We're going to be picking up in verse 12. Um, as we do that, Let me just start by saying this. You know, you can learn a lot about things when you put two things that are similar but not exactly alike side by side, right? If you put two things that are similar side by side, you can learn some things even if they're similar and not exactly alike. Uh, To goldfish, Similar, but not exactly alike. If you just had one, the, the one goldfish in a bowl, you might describe it in a certain way, but as soon as you put something beside it that looks similar, but isn't exactly alike it, your description is going to change. Uh, two different cars that look exactly the same. Or how about this one? Uh, anyone, I don't know if anyone recognizes that, world's tallest living man he was, uh, in 2014, Guinness Book of World Records, world's tallest living man, Sultan Kozin, eight feet, three inches tall, uh, world's shortest living man, Chandra Badardangi, 21.5 inches tall. Uh, now, your description of either one of them. Uh, might be one thing, but then you put them side by side, and uh, and you've got quite a distinction between them. You might be wondering who the world's tallest uh, ever living man was. That would be this man, Robert Woodlow, uh, who lived, died in 1940 at the age of 22. He was 8 feet 11 inches tall the time of his death. That's his father standing beside him who is 5 feet 11 inches. Uh, And so it gives you some perspective. But if you just saw Robert or you just saw his father, you might describe them one way. But as soon as you put them side by side, similar things but not exactly alike, you describe them maybe a little bit a different way. You see a different perspective of things. And today in our passage in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, Paul, the author of Romans, puts two things, really two people, side by side in this passage for the purpose of seeing where they're similar and, making, and bringing a point out there, and then seeing where they are different and making a point with the comparison and with the contrast. So I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. The comparison and the contrast is from Adam to Jesus Christ. Adam, the first human that God created and breathed life into. Um, and then Jesus Christ, uh, Son of God, Savior. And these may too, seem like two different uh, people that you would not put side by side. 
but Paul puts them side by side for the purpose of us seeing some truths we might not otherwise see. So let me read it for you, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. This is what the Word of God says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who received God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased... Grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have this passage of Scripture that Paul is writing in this letter and he contrasts Adam to Jesus, um, death to life, and sin to to righteousness. And he puts out this contrast to say that Adam was the first man and through him came one thing and Jesus was in some ways, scripture calls him the second Adam and through him came another result. So let me talk to you this morning about the comparison and the contrast. From comparing them together, we'll get one truth and one implication and then as Paul contrasts them, we'll get one truth and one implication from that. So the first thing is the comparison. The first truth from this passage is this, that we have all been significantly and negatively impacted by the actions of someone else, particularly in this passage, Adam. Paul is saying we have all been significantly and negatively impacted by Adam's actions. Whether you like it or not, Paul is saying, this is what's true. Now, here's what I know is true, and here's, let's get this right on the table at the beginning. None of us like to be significantly and negatively impacted by the actions of someone else, especially when we didn't get to choose the someone else. We didn't have a say in what they did or who they are, and yet we feel and experience the results of what they did. 
We don't like that. None of us like that. If you, if you wonder about that, we don't like that today. If you wonder about that, just spend some time around a couple of children. And you will realize that we don't like when we are negatively impacted by the results of someone else that's out of our control. You sit down with a couple of kids. You have a piece of cake in front of you. You cut that piece of cake. Give one piece to one, one piece to the other. You may think they look exactly the same, but they will come back. One of them will look at the other one and say, that one's bigger than mine. That's not fair. We don't like being negatively impacted by the actions of someone else that we didn't have a choice about. Or you, you have a mess in the house and you just catch the first kid that comes along and say, hey, pick up this mess. But I didn't make the mess. And if you're a parent, you like me have probably said the next line. The next line is what? I didn't ask you if you made the mess. I just said pick up the mess. But that's not fair. Why should I be impacted by the negative results of someone else's decision? We don't like it. There's a part of our mindset living in Western culture, living in the United States, that's a very individualistic mindset. We do not like being held accountable or experiencing the reactions, uh, uh, the actions of what someone else did. And some of you who maybe are from the East or migrated from the East maybe have a better understanding of what it is to be more part of a collective that experiences the results of an individual more than we do in the West because we buck against that. We want to be treated as individuals. And not only do we live in the West, but we live in this place called New England that I think just excels at individualism for some reason. And if you moved here from another part of the country, it didn't take you long to realize that that there's this aspect of New Englanders that we don't want any help, we'll take care of it ourselves, don't worry about it, don't fuss about us, you know, we'll be fine. I see this difference when I go to a grocery store. I go to a grocery store down in Texas with my in-laws, and you go and they bag your groceries, and, and you, you know, you go to push them out, and the, and the, the bagger there will say, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to push your carriage out. You know, and we'll say, oh, no, 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 I, I got it, I got it. No, 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 this is what I'm here for. I'm going to push your carriage out, you know, and they're going to push it out. You try that up here, and you'll have, you know, an 80-year-old guy carrying six bags and one on his head, and he'll say, no, I don't need any help, I'm good. Because we got this individual self you know, reliant mindset that just doesn't want any help from anyone else and certainly doesn't want to experience or be responsible for someone else's negative actions. We don't feel like that's fair. That's not fair. It's not just kids. It's not just in groceries. It happens with us as adults. We don't like being held responsible for other people's actions. Politicians, I realize, play into this all the time. When they're trying to get somebody's vote or they're trying to get a bill passed, they will play into this mentality all the time. I remember a number of years ago when Massachusetts was passing the seatbelt law. And uh, there, were, there was all the, the commercials and all the campaigning about, you know, whether we should pass a law that mandates seatbelts or not. And I remember the arguments that were going on. And one of the arguments that was made was, 
while you choosing not to wear your seatbelt is going to, you know, cost the rest of us because we're going to have to pay for health care when you end up crippled or you end up significantly hurt and that that burden is going to be borne by the rest of the culture and the rest of society. And what they were playing to was, we don't want to be held responsible for your actions. We don't want the collective to be held responsible for the actions of the individual. So just because you want to drive through with the wind going through your hair on your motorcycle, Massachusetts says, no, you got to wear a helmet. And you, you might think it's going to wrinkle your, ho- your clothes, but you got to wear a seatbelt. Because we don't want the collective to be responsible for the actions of the individual. I saw it this past week in Philadelphia where they were passing a soda tax. And a lot of cities have tried this and, and tried, to, tried to get this through. They, they put a tax on soda and sugary drinks. And one of the arguments they make is, look, Sodas, because a lot of you are like, how are you going to tax this? How are you going to get this through? Well, the argument they make, well, soda's got an extreme amount of sugar in it. Sugar's unhealthy. When you're unhealthy, it puts a burden on the collective. So your decision as an individual has now put a burden on the collective. And so they play to that mindset. And that mindset often exists. And what Paul is saying in this passage is something that we often buck against. You have been significantly and negatively impacted by the decision of another. And what Paul says is that decision was to sin for Adam. And you and I, ever since then, and every descendant of Adam is now a sinner. That Adam may have been the one to take the fruit, but you and I are the ones with sticky fingers. That we've still got the juice of that fruit on our face and on our mouth. We are just as much Sinners as Adam is what Paul is saying in this passage, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. Sometimes we read that and we want to think, well, yeah, I'm responsible for my sin and Adam was responsible for his sin. But that's not what Paul's saying because he goes on to say, before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin's not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So what's he saying? Adam disobeyed a specific command. There were specific commands given when Moses received the law. But in between then, there were no specific, say, commands that God had given, but people still died. Why? Because the results of that sin that Adam committed went down through the ages. And every person that comes through the line of Adam has this sin nature inside of us. We might want to say we are sinners because we sin, but that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we sin because we're sinners. And it's important to understand this part. And he said that's what we receive from Adam. Sometimes I want to... Stay on this truth for a second because I think sometimes we get it wrong. I read an illustration this week about this passage that uh, a man was talking to a young man who said, he was talking about getting into heaven, and he said, look, I think if my good, way, if my good deeds outweigh my bad, I'll get in. He essentially, he said, I think if I make more good deposits than bad, God and I will be good. And most of us would recognize that and say, no, 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 that's not, that's not Bible. That's not Scripture. 
you know, that's not the way it works, because how do you know if you have enough good deeds? Where do, you know, that, that does not work, because one bad deed pollutes, pollutes the whole thing. That doesn't work. So this man recognized that, too. So he corrected him, and he said, no, no, no. When you made your first withdrawal from your account, your first sin, your first bad deed, your account was closed and wiped out. You can't make good deposits in it. You need to put your trust in Jesus. And that sounds good. In fact, when I first read that illustration, I thought, yeah, that sounds good, but it's not. Because what Paul is saying in this passage is this. When Adam committed that first sin in the garden, he wiped out all our accounts. You start with a closed account that you can't make deposits into. You and I start in this place because Adam's sin, our account was completely wiped out of righteousness in that moment. We may not like that. We don't experience that much in our world. The concept is called federal headship. We don't have many examples of federal headship in our world. The best analogy I saw maybe was a labor union um, and the labor unions that negotiate. And so they send a person to negotiate on behalf of the whole union. And whatever that decision that person agrees to, the collective of the union all has to live by. Maybe that's the best illustration we have in our world, but we don't have it very much. But Paul said, that's what's going on here. Adam made a decision. We've got sticky fingers and fruit all over our face. We understand. We experience the results of that decision. You see this in the Bible and other places. If you know the story of David and Goliath, David and Goliath is not really a battle between two men. It's a battle between two nations, And here was the agreement. The Philistines sent out their warrior, Goliath, and they said, look, if Goliath wins, you serve us. The Israelites will serve the Philistines. And the Israelites, eventually, after a long time, they sent out their warrior, David, and they said, if David wins, the Philistines serve us. Those were the terms of the agreement. Whatever happens with this one person, the rest of the nation will have to live by. That's what Paul's saying happened with Adam. Whatever Adam did, the rest of collective humanity will have to live with. You might say, well, I didn't vote for Adam. I didn't elect Adam. Or you might think, I could have done better than Adam. Well, I guess to that, I would just say... How many of you are without sin? If you think you would have done better than Adam, but also there's a sense where you trust God. God created, placed Adam in that garden, and I don't think you and I could pick a better representative. But God placed and trusted Adam in that situation. We might not like being considered sinners because Adam sinned, but that is the truth and reality that's happening here. And the implication is this. Um, The implication of that fact is that we are all sinners. The words of Pastor Tim Keller, I think he captures this passage well. The implication is this. We are more sinful than we ever dared believe. We are more sinful than we ever dared believe. We don't like to think of ourselves as sinners. There's a lot of pastors, churches, ministries 
We won't even use the word sin anymore. We don't, our, our world and our society doesn't like to think of ourselves as sinners. And I, and I think part of that is our individualistic mindset. And we, we, we don't want to be. And we compare ourselves to others. But we are more sinful than we ever dared believe. You look at the tragedy of this past week, a week ago today that happened in Orlando. And all the details that are involved, we might say, well, how can this happen? I mean, how could someone go in, a gunman, and shoot down 49 people who had no idea that they were in danger, were not thinking that night would be the last night of their life in any way, and then someone goes in and shoots them down in cold blood, and how can that happen in the world that we live in, in the 21st century, where we have iPads, and we have all kinds of advances, and things that make our life comfortable, and why would somebody do that? I don't have all, certainly I have all the answers to that, but I think a part of the answer, or maybe the first part of that answer is, we are more sinful than we ever dared believe, that all of us are sinners, and that sin exists in this world. And it's true for us, and it's true for a gunman, and it's true for those who were shot and injured and killed, that we are more sinful, and we are all sinners. And sometimes we want to use this comparison and think of ourselves in relation to other people, and for some reason we give ourselves a pass in places, but we are all sinners. When you heard the news of that attack from last Sunday, and as it started to filter in, and you heard about the largest mass shooting in U.S. history, you heard that news for the first time, I'm sure you, like me, you just caught yourself for a minute and said, oh my goodness, or whatever it was, and try wondering what the situation, was it another school? It was a Sunday, was it a church? Was it, you know, what, what happened? Who was involved? I'd ask you this, when the details started to unfold and you found out it was 2 a.m., it was a nightclub, it was a nightclub that's frequented by an LGBT crowd, did you feel differently? Did your emotions change? Because if it did, I wonder if we don't grasp this truth completely that we are all sinners in need of God's grace, that everyone, every human life was created by God, created in God's image, is in need of a Savior, and um, this truth that we are all equally sinners in God's sight, that we are all in equal need of a Savior in God's sight, and that someone's life who's cut short, and many of those maybe uh, cut short before they accepted Jesus, and maybe even before they had an opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. And that's a tragedy. And that's not And that's something that should be mourned, and we grasp that and understand it. And uh, when we understand that we are all sinners and every one of us is condemned to hell apart from Christ, then we grieve loss of life. First truth is that we have all been negatively and significantly impacted by the actions of another. 
That's the comparison Paul makes. So we've been impacted by the actions of Adam. He compares that to Christ. We've not been negatively impacted by Christ's actions, but the comparison is Christ also acts as a federal head and that we experience the results of his act. Let's look at that. The second truth brought about by way of contrast is this, that we have all been significantly, we are, I'm sorry, through Jesus, we all have a significant overwhelming grace available to us. That through Jesus, we all have a significant and overwhelming grace that is available to us. And here's the contrast. He says, look, through Adam, you had one sin and death came about and many sins and trespasses came about after that. But through Christ, you have many trespasses, many sins, and his one sacrifice covers all of them. And so it's greater. It wasn't one sin equaled one result. It was many sins were taken care of through the one act of obedience of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. This is a contrast. For if many died by the trespass of the man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And if you jump down to verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the man Jesus? And finally, in verse 20, the third of these more statements, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And here's the truth of the passage. The truth of the passage is Paul is saying there is no way to overwhelm grace. That there is no way that as bad as you look around and see things get, there is no way that we have sinned beyond the place where grace can reach us. Paul is saying that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Sin started with Adam. And it had been multiplied by all the people that ever lived, by all the acts of sin towards God and towards one another ever since then. Sins of hate, lust, murder, stealing, envy, adultery, abuse, exploitation, cheating, lying. Just think of the number of times one person might do those things. Then think of the billions of people on the planet right now Then think of all the billions of people that have ever lived on the planet. That's a lot of disobedience and sin. But here's what Paul is saying and what he's he's so excited about. The grace that comes about through Jesus Christ is even greater. There's no competition. Grace overwhelms and overcomes sin. Where sin increased, grace just increases all the more. Where there's a great amount of sin in the world, they are not beyond grace. And so the implication of this truth, again, the words of Tim Keller in this situation, you are more loved than you ever dared hope. So you are more sinful than you ever dared believe. That's true. That's what we get from Adam. No exceptions. No one misses on that one. But you are more loved than you ever dared hope. That the grace of God 
overwhelms and overcomes through faith in Jesus Christ, sin in your life, and sin in this world. That the good news of the passage is that you are a sinner, but you cannot out-sin the grace of God. There is nothing you have ever done or could do that God's grace could not cover. That's the truth of the gospel, that none of us are beyond the grace of God. And so you come in here this morning, and no matter what you came in with, or no matter who that person is that you know or you think of in your life, that you think they are too far gone, God's grace will never reach them. Paul is saying, look, that person where sin has increased so much in their life, and you look to them and say, lost cause, they'll never turn to God. Paul's saying, where sin increased, grace comes in and increases all the more. That's why Paul can say later on, I am the greatest of all sinners And God's grace reached him. And so there is no one in your life that has sinned too much that the grace of God cannot reach them. And it's certainly not you sitting here today. You have not sinned in such a way or to such an extent that God's grace is not available to you. Christ loved you. He died for you. Not only that you could be forgiven, but that you could be made righteous. And here's the the truth of the matter. That if we were to hold on to our notion of, hey, I want to be only responsible for my sin. Look, Adam's sin is Adam's sin, and I don't want to be subject to that. I want to be, look, I want to be held accountable to the things I did. I didn't make this mess. I'm not picking it up. Well, I would just submit to you this. Then you must also be responsible for your own righteousness because it works the same way. Because the way we are made righteous is not by living righteous lives. The way we are made righteous is because one man lived an obedient life. And God said, if you will put your faith and trust in him, his righteousness will be counted as your righteousness. You are cleansed and made right with your heavenly Father. When the Father gives his only Son to be a sinner's friend, it should help us to understand the weight of sin and the reality of what sin does. You are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you are more loved than you ever dared hope. If you look at yourself through Adam, though you have done nothing, you are a sinner. But if you look at yourself through Christ, though you have done nothing, you are righteous. You did not earn it. You did not do it. You did not accomplish it. But through faith in Christ, God gives it to you. We are in Adam because of birth, but we are righteous in Christ because of second birth. Sometimes through your life, you heard the expression born again, and if you haven't been in church maybe very much or maybe haven't read through your Bible, you may not have come across John chapter 3, where the term is actually, it's not something evangelicals in the 1950s made up. 
It's in the Bible, the term Jesus said you must be born again, John chapter 3, and it's the new birth. It's this new, the first birth from that first Adam came with a sin nature, but when you choose to put your faith in Christ, that second birth through Christ makes you righteous. See, the truth is, some of you who maybe are new parents or you're about to be new parents, you bring that little beautiful baby home from the hospital and you are looking at that little baby and they just look so perfect and they, you take them home and, you know, they give you a few extra diapers and they give you, you know, maybe some, some instructions. They make sure you know how to buckle her in the car seat. They wrap her in the blanket. They put the little sock thing on the head. And, and you are just loving life. Things are good. And you are ready to go home with that new little baby. What they didn't tell you is what's also included with your little baby is a sin nature. It's in there. It's included. You don't have to ask. It's not extra. It's just, it's just in there. They, what they don't tell you when you're looking at that little baby is it comes broken. And it, we all come into this world broken because of Adam. Sticky fingers, fruit all over our face. I heard one, uh, I was listening to a podcast one time, and I heard of this new father. And he, he said when his baby was born, can't remember if it was a son or a daughter, when his baby was born, that he had a hard time actually believing in the Christian message. He said it challenged him because I looked down at this little baby and I could not believe that we would believe that original sin and sin exists from a person's birth. And he actually walked away for a while and stopped believing. And I thought, I bet you walked away for about a year, <laughs> at the most, at the most, until you realize, yep, this one's broken too. Yeah. We have this brokenness within us. We have this sin nature. You don't have to teach it. You don't have to learn it. it comes down, Paul would say, from Adam. It comes down with us. You didn't have a choice of that first birth, but that second birth, you put your faith in Jesus Christ in his obedient life for you and forgiveness and grace and righteousness is yours. No matter where your first birth was, I don't know the home you were born into. I don't know the circumstances you were born into. I don't know if you had a good father or you didn't have a father at all. If your mom abandoned you, I don't know if you were born into an abusive situation, born addicted to something because of a choice of your parent that you didn't have a choice in. I don't know those circumstances. But here's what I know, that the second birth, that through faith in Jesus Christ, that you are never beyond the grace of God that no matter what sinful situation you were born into or whatever sins you may have committed in your life, you are not beyond the grace of God. And some of you might be sitting here and you're a little astute and you're saying, Pastor, calm it down a little bit. Are you encouraging people to sin? 
when you say that you can't outsin God's grace? Are you, are you encouraging people to sin? Well, I'm not going to answer that question right now. But I'll just do this. I'll read the beginning of the next verse for next week's message. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? I'm not giving you an answer to that question. Come back next week. (laughs) Pastor Marvin's preaching. I'm going to let him answer that question for you. I'm just here to talk about grace. (laughs) Pastor Marvin's got to figure out that other part. But it's a truth we have to ask. And when I read these two passages side by side, you know, one after the other, what I realized is Paul, this is a condensed passage. It's just a few verses. He says a lot in it. But in this short passage, Paul has so emphasized grace. He has so gone over the top and overboard with grace that he feels it necessary to bring a corrective. Then in the next passage, he feels like, okay, now we're going to talk about something, you know, the question that's going to come up in your mind. And my question is, do we ever think of grace in that way? Do we ever go so over the top in grace that we have to say, whoa, whoa, are we going too far with grace? I think so often, more often than not, we're more stuck in a legalistic, moralistic mindset that we want people to clean themselves up before they come to Christ. That we want people to quit sinning and then come to Jesus or pull yourself up by your bootstraps where Paul says, you got all that sin in your life? What an opportunity for the grace of God to overcome and overwhelm your life. What an opportunity for God's grace to come in and overwhelm you and change you and give you new life through Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you were born into the first time you were born. But what I do know is that if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ for your second birth, you will experience the grace of God, his forgiveness. And in God's eyes, you are righteous because you receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, oh, Father, thank you, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord. God, forgive us for underestimating the grace of our Lord and Father. Forgive us for cheapening the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross by trying in our own efforts to earn your forgiveness. Truth is, Lord, our sins are so great, every one of them, that there is no hope for us apart from the grace that you have extended through Jesus Christ. God, I pray at Mount Hope that we would be a church that helps a world to understand what grace is. It really is the total unique aspect of this thing we call Christianity. There's no other religious system. There's no other religion or spirituality in the world that offers unconditional 
full and complete grace and forgiveness apart from our own efforts. Lord, forgive us for when we don't recognize how great and awesome your grace is. Forgive us for the person in our life that we've stopped praying for or the person that we thought they'll never come or they're just evil. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Lord, renew our passion. Renew our understanding. Renew our perspective of how great your grace is. Father, I pray for every man and every woman in here who comes in here maybe Sunday after Sunday after Sunday thinking that the grace of God is for someone else sitting in this room, but not for them. Lord, I pray for that man or that woman today that you would open up their heart enough to accept your grace and your love into their heart, your forgiveness and your goodness, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.